This is a Centre for the History of Emotions podcast. One evening, in November 2016, as part of the Being Human Festival, David Saunders invited 73 individuals into a small room on the third floor of St Bartholomew's Hospital. Once there, they disclosed their hopes, fears and anxieties to a tape recorder, a mechanical therapist, if you will. They were taking part in a restaging of a revolutionary therapeutic exercise called psychic driving. It was part of the Museum of the Normal, an event organised by Queen Mary's Centre for the History of Emotions. In this podcast, you can hear David Saunders talk about the history of that experiment and also hear the psychic driving tape he made from the confessions of his volunteers. For the 2017 Being Human Festival, the Centre for the History of Emotions is staging an event about emotional objects. On the 20th of November, at the Royal College of Nursing, we'll be exploring the stuff of feeling. Talismans, lost necklaces, found photos, fetishes and objects hidden under the floorboards. To find out more and to book your free ticket, go to the Being Human Festival website at beinghumanfestival.org. But for now, sit back, close your eyes and let David Saunders control your mind a little with psychic driving. 11, 24, 16. Test number one. I will not procrastinate. I will not procrastinate. I will not procrastinate. I will not procrastinate. I will not be so serious. 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 Accept yourself and love yourself. Accept yourself and love yourself. Accept yourself and love yourself. Accept yourself. The problem was how to make it so it felt immersive, so it felt like people were, were really taking part in this kind of radical therapy, but also making sure that they went home with the history behind it as well. And I think the other thing is there's kind of an ethical problem with it as well because the history of it's quite disturbing and, there, and it was subject to a court case in the 1980s where the CIA were actually taken to court by the son of one of the, the patients that were, was in this sort of funded project that they did. We were kind of unsure about how to do it so it wasn't an enjoyable thing to take part on that people would want to take part in, but also that got that story across and didn't sort of trivialise it. I'd like to take the actions that I know would be beneficial to myself. I know I have the resources I need and I would like to apply myself to them. I know what I should be doing and, and I would just very much like to begin slowly and good habits. What was most interesting with the people who came in and recorded messages is that we told them this quite awful story about what happens to people when they interacted with this tape machine and people's messages that they recorded were really disarmingly honest and, and quite vulnerable and you know we expected a, a solid majority of people to not 
really take it seriously. But actually, most people recorded really intimate messages. And I think, despite that kind of horrendous story, the fantasy and dream of going into a room with a machine and the machine making you better, I think, is really seductive. And I think, and there are still lots of people myself included, yeah, I know for sure if there was a quick fix solution to, to all of life's problems, you know, you would you would do it in an instant. I, I think even despite that history, the kind of allure of, of what that technology could do is still very much there. I am going to the pub. I am going to the pub. I am going to the pub. Where it's known best is in the slightly more alternative areas of the internet, where you might find other kinds of conspiracy theory. I enjoy getting up in the morning. I believe that I am perfect in my own way. Part of the problem of human experimentation, but especially anything that involves the CIA, is the reality of it is way stranger than anything you could make up. And a lot of the sort of popular images of what the CIA were doing during that time are actually based on, on the real things. And there's so many strange stories that it is quite difficult to tell what's a completely fictional conspiracy theory from what is an actual thing that happened. I will tell myself that everything is okay. I will tell myself that everything is okay. I will tell Psychic driving was a therapy that was invented in the 1960s by a Montreal-based psychologist called Dr. Ewan Cameron. I won't take one hour plus to shower and coconut oil my body every day and justify it as self-care. Cameron was really intrigued by the idea of using technology to overcome limitations in therapy. So from his point of view, the kind of Freudian talking cure, it was very bourgeois and it was very, it took a lot of time and it took a lot of expense and that most people didn't have time to sit and work through their problems from childhood onwards. So his idea was that you could use new technologies to basically replace therapists and just mechanise the entire process and kind of make it into a production line where people would go into a room with all of their problems and effectively leave it quite quickly afterwards with, with no problems whatsoever. I will not stress about insignificant things. I will he started out in the early 1950s, the first covenant patients were seen between 1950 and 1955, and it goes right up into the late 60s. I will try to enjoy each day like it was the last. I will try to he believed that the best way of dealing with, with psychological problems was to basically obliterate all of the bad memories and the bad habits and reprogram people with new ones. I must not bite my nails. I must not bite my nails. So he was interested in the idea that for instance, things were advertised around that time that if you went to sleep and listened to a tape, you could teach yourself German overnight, or you could, you know, expand your vocabulary, you know, learn to diet, those kind of hypnotic tapes that were first coming out when he was starting. So he believed if you use something like electroconvulsive therapy, which creates short-term memory loss, um, if you use that aggressively to rid memories of people, and then subjected them to endless tape loops of, of new messages that would tell them either positively or negatively what they should or shouldn't do. For instance, he had a businessman who had anxiety problems and was very bad in social situations and it was holding back his career. I will start trusting people again, especially lovers. So his tape would say over and over again, you know, you like people, you're good with people, you know, you enjoy talking to people, you're, you're friendly, you're happy. And it would do that over and over again. And Cameron believed the best way of making that really efficient was to get the patients to record it in their own voices. Study harder now. Study harder now. Study harder now. Because no longer would it seem like someone was telling you to do something, it was just something you were telling yourself to do. 
those tapes would go round on loops and loops for hours and hours a day. And what he quickly found is that people hated listening to their own voices, really despised it. But he was completely committed to this idea and kind of went about it with a zeal. So he decided that it was basically irrelevant if people didn't want to do it, he'd find ways of making them do it. I will have more patience. 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 For instance, he'd make them wear headphones and he would tape the headphones on so they couldn't take them off. Um, and that didn't work because people were, were really motivated not to listen to their own voices. And then eventually he started using stranger and stranger tactics. So um, he used physical restraints. And then when that wouldn't work, he started experimenting with different drugs and chemicals to keep people in awake but sort of immovable states, including one time where he apparently appeared to get in a shipment of poison from an African tree frog that apparently was known to keep people completely paralysed but completely awake. And a lot of his patients were subjected to that kind of treatment. So basically they would be awake listening to their messages, but they couldn't physically get away from them at all. When he was first starting out, his research got a lot of attention from American military circles because for some reason they decided it might be useful to be able to tell people what to think. So quite early on, he got visited by various figures from the CIA and eventually he got a big grant that was from an educational society called the Society for Research into Human Ecology. And that society was a complete front. It didn't exist whatsoever. It was just a front to funnel money from the CIA into his institute. And they hoped that basically it could be used to, for instance, declassify secrets from, from retiring agents rather than having to get them to sign an official secrets act. You could just remove anything they knew or you could use it as an interrogation tool to kind of Manchurian candidate style to send people back with new messages and new behaviours. And there's a kind of overall fantasy that you could just basically wipe out political ideas from people's minds. So the safest way of you know protecting America from communism was just to be able to eradicate it from people's minds directly. I will control my excesses and not spend so much of my salary on whiskey. It was basically disastrous, it didn't work at all, because his idea was that by listening to loops over and over again, you would break down any kind of conscious resistance to the therapy and you would just accept it. But actually, listening to loops over and over again actually just became a form of sensory deprivation. So his patients started suffering from hallucinations and delusions. They stop really knowing who they were or where they were or what they were doing and in some of the cases it clearly caused like very permanent damage the one case that came to court in the 1980s was the businessman i mentioned earlier who was having panic attacks who when he returned he couldn't look after himself he couldn't remember how to go to the bathroom he couldn't remember who his wife was who his children were and it's actually his son who brought that case to, to court because his father had gone off for a relatively minor treatment and had come back effectively as a child change myself, maybe a bit, maybe a little. Change the world just a little, all a bit better. So one of the things they used to test out to see if the therapy was really working was as well as all the individual messages about, you know, how to deal with a patient's depression and patient's anxiety, they'd also put in strange little tests to see if it worked. And one of the main ones is they would sneak in messages which said, so it would say, you know, you love people, you love hanging out with people, you get on really well with your husband or wife, you're happy and confident. If you see a piece of paper on the ground, you pick it up. If you see a piece of paper on the ground, you pick it up. And then they would litter around pieces of paper and see what would, would happen. And this is the thing that's kind of so odd about it because it's hard to believe not only that 
someone who called themselves a scientist would see that as a really good experiment. The idea that the American military would funnel, I think, something like $70,000 over the course of the entire project into that, that was their, their experimental test. So. It seems to be one of those cases where his belief in the, in the concept of it completely overrode what he was seeing. And the other thing, of course, is because this project was kept secret, he did never published results. There was never any sort of systematic study. So there was never actually anything to say, you know, this is clearly not working. I will believe in myself. I will believe in myself. I will believe in myself. The funding was eventually culled. You can do it. We can all get through it together. There's a story involving a sort of high-ranking general who comes to look at, at what um, the money's going towards. And they bring out a patient who's been subjected to the therapy, and the patient just has no idea who they are. And I think it almost sounds like they try and defend it. It's, like it's, been, it's obviously too powerful that people don't know, but actually it was this, he had been completely sensory deprived for days on end. And it was only when the military started looking at actual patients that were coming out and realising that it wasn't an ice pick, it was a sledgehammer, it was removing everything rather than individual memories, that they eventually pulled funding and that's when this, these things started unravelling. I will try to be more patient. I will try to be more patient. And it was, wasn't until court cases for similar projects elsewhere in the world where this connection between other researchers working on similar projects, that started coming out and that's when these things were actually finally questioned in terms of their scientific validity. For instance, there was a doctor called Harry Bailey in Australia who was working on a similar kind of study but was working with much longer periods of, of time and working with much harsher drugs and chemicals. And his project, for example, led to the deaths of multiple patients. And it was when that court case was taken up that it, they found that he was in correspondence with Cameron in Montreal, but also William Sargent, who was one of the sort of leading mid-20th century psychologist in Britain who was working at the Royal Waterloo Hospital for Women and Children. I'm going to be a more patient person and not get crossed quite so quickly. I'm going to be a more patient person. Sergeant was working on something similar where he wasn't using sound, but he was basically taking in patients with severe depression and giving them heavy sedatives and keeping them in sort of coma states for long periods of time while pumping full of antidepressants and that was a similar idea that basically if a patient wants to reject your therapy they'll find a way of doing it so you need to find a way of incapacitating them and that's a similar story where patients appeared to die in that in that study as well but similarly it was kind of hushed up and what was very interesting is those three men kept in contact and kept correspondence with each other and certainly in some cases had a kind of competitive spirit which i think drove on that thing they would for instance talk about letters we would talk about them comparing who could keep patients in sort of coma states for longer but what's very interesting as soon as those court cases started Nobody came to defend anybody else. And Sergeant, for example, was asked to come to Australia to provide defence and claimed that they only had a passing relationship and his side of that correspondence was never never found. I will seize every opportunity with radish. I will endeavour to be strong, kind, compassionate and will not judge myself too harshly. They kind of knew what they were doing was transgressive and they used that to compete with each other and obviously felt an immense sense of power. And I think clearly that was part of why their projects also survived so long, because they were emboldening each other to try more and more new things. I will make decisions quicker. 
Be more self-compassionate. Be more self-compassionate. Be more self-compassionate. Be more self This is the problem with especially any of these projects that were done with the CIA, but really in, in the history of human experimentation much more broadly, which is just the, the archives are just completely missing all the things that you'd want to find to get a full story. And that's from the most controversial things to the least controversial things. And that's ranging from people actively going out and burning documents, which happens quite a lot, to people not thinking it's important to record these things down. So the, the sort of unfortunate thing about all of these stories is that they are, by nature, always going to be really incomplete. But the trace of a lot of these things comes from uh, the the overall CIA interest in mind control was a project called MK Ultra, and during the various different scandals in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in the states about government-sponsored experimentation, some documents came out of that. But the outgoing CIA director at that time ordered for all documents to be burnt. So there's only a very small select group, and some of it is very, very brief. I can do things perfectly and anticipate failure as enlightenment. I will stop thinking that I can do things perfectly and anticipate failure as enlightenment. I will stop. Despite the kind of exotic nature of psychic driving, I still think there are, are, are lots of, of parallels that connect it up with the situation we're currently dealing with and difficult decisions we're going to have to increasingly make about how we're looking for, for therapy to function in the future. I would like to be a better intersectional feminist. I would like to be a better intersectional feminist. I think there's definitely still resonances in contemporary therapeutic culture with psychic driving. I think the idea of the quick fix, I think, is something which is really dominant in popular psychology, especially in popular therapy. Death comes slowly to those who wait. Death comes slowly to those who wait. Death comes slowly. The kind of do-it-yourself CBT, and especially, I think, the idea of using technologies to do CBT, for instance, I think there's definitely a resonance there because increasingly we're looking to particular technologies to do the job of, of therapists. I wish I had a job that mattered more to people. And the fact is, there are not enough mental health practitioners to deal with the issues that, that people have. So the idea of pushing that out to machines is, is very desirable. Stop caring what people think. Stop caring what people think. Stop caring what people think. If you go to your GP and say that you have problems with anxiety or problems with low mood, if they don't see your cases as particularly urgent, because waiting lists for, say, community mental health services are increasingly expanding, often people are referred to other forms of CBT, so computerised CBT is a huge thing. Stop getting angry over ridiculous things. Stop getting angry over ridiculous things. And there are apps, there is um, the countless mindfulness apps which you can use. I've probably got some on my phone actually, to be honest. But I think this is an interesting idea because the idea is that rather than sitting in a waiting list and eventually seeing a therapist and then, you know, potentially having years and years of, of painful, difficult work to do to, to get back to some, some idea of, of equilibrium and health. The idea that you could pay sort of £1.49 on, on an app store and, and get something that will do the job for you and you can carry it around your pocket and you don't have to go to a waiting room, you can just listen to it on the train. I think there's still a desire and perhaps even a democratisation of that desire to, to look to machines to provide answers that human beings 
are either too slow to provide or, or too expensive to provide. Amazing creative productivity. Amazing creative productivity. I want to wake up earlier and feel less tired. I want to wake up earlier and feel less tired. I want to wake up earlier and feel less tired. I want to wake up earlier and feel less tired. I want to be more driven. 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 I wish I could focus on one task at a time. I wish I could focus on one task at a time. I wish I could focus on one task at a time. I wish I could focus on one task at a time. I'd like different people to live around me. I'd like that to change. I'd like different people to live around me. I'd like that to change. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of Emotions. It was produced by Natalie Steed. 11, 24, 16. Test number one. Test complete.